Thank you for listening to Recyclables. I really appreciate it. If you want to support the program, the best way to do that is to like, subscribe, and share. Uh, the next best way is to make a donation either through the Acast app or at our Patreon, which is just patreon forward slash recyclables.com. Until next time, thank you. Hello, my recyclable friends and family. This is PTP coming to you from the editing room. A um, little bit of bad news. I caught COVID, so we had to do this episode remote. That means the audio is going to be a little iffier than usual, but I appreciate you listening. Uh, before anyone asks, I don't blame anyone. I took pretty good care of myself. If I blamed anyone, I would blame the fact that we didn't have a full shutdown. We don't have universal health care, and we don't have universal basic income so people could stay home. On that note, enjoy the episode. Oh, I'm a terrible nerd. Let's let's start this from the top. Thank you, folks, for listening to Recyclables. I am joined today by my amazing, lovely, awesome, intelligent friends, Rochelle Cotier. I'm going to get more French each time I say it, and Mix <laughs> Mix Dahlia Bell. But please introduce yourselves because they're your names. I don't want to. I don't want to fuck them up too much. I'm Rochelle Cody. I'm here all the time. You can't get rid of me. And I'm Mix Dahlia Bell. Who is not here enough? Yeah. Today's episode is kind of intentionally, provocatively named. Uh, it's called Sorry Libs, The South One. I want to clarify what I mean when I say liberals so we don't get the wrong people listening in. Or so we do get the right people listening in. I don't know how you how you want to rate that. We hate I neighbors. personally... <laughs> no. What did you say, Dahlia? <laughs> we hate Negroes. <laughs> But at least we say Negro instead of the other word. Yeah. (laughs) We just just wanted to make it clear that we believe the gays and the coloreds are stealing our country from us. Yeah. But they're still people. They're still people. (laughs) (laughs) You're fine. You're fine. I wanted. I just wanted to take a second because I think I, I, I've had some feedback from this that occasionally we've complained about liberals on the podcast or, or over a podcast, and I wanted to clarify for my own personal viewpoint when I speak of conservatives, liberals, and progressives, what I refer to as conservatives are people who are trying to bring back the past, and what I mean when I say progressive leftish people are people who are trying to move into the for like into the future. And what I define liberals as, as I'm saying this, is people who are comfortable in the present and want it to change as little as possible without, you know, going backwards or forwards. And so a lot of people, I think, in the kind of in that liberal position don't want to hear the South one because that means that their current situation isn't what they want to consider it. Does that am I I making sense there? Uh, Yeah. I think I differ slightly on how I think of liberals in the sense that I think liberals are people who are somehow able to see, like, the good and bad of both sides, even... Okay, I can... The, the kind of a moderate person. Yeah. <laughs> I think or for... Democrat, whatever. Uh. Shut up, Harriet. I think she's got mad because I started talking. But I, th- I think the way that I would describe liberals is it's like you think that change within the system makes the most sense and that you do want things to get better for marginalized communities, but you really 
don't understand how much you have done to make that harder for those groups, you also aren't really interested in examining how you can improve yourself in that situation. Yeah, you want things to improve, but yeah. not because you did anything. Yeah, you, you want things to happen, yeah. but you also don't think you're part of the problem. It's like people who complain about traffic forgetting that they are in the traffic. D- yeah, that's what yeah, I'm shooting for. Okay, cool, cool. We have consensus. <laughs> yeah, I see a conservative as more like not only do they want to ride a horse, but they want you to drive their horse for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, on a broader sense. Oh my god! So, so to start today's to start today's journey, I wanna I wanna. Oh, I didn't tell Dahlia about this yet. Okay, okay. So, Dahlia, you part of the journey on recyclables is because because this is I I love your I love your I love your laugh, and this this is probably this is this is gonna I I don't know what kind of laugh this is gonna elicit from you. So when I was a young man. Uh, this may surprise you. I thought I knew a lot about history, like when I was like out of high school as a dropout, because I would read all the books and whatnot, and like I read what was in the school book. Uh, and when I was twenty-one, I came across a movie that uh, kind of inspired this show. It came out in two thousand four, because that's the only time this movie could have come out. Called the Confederate States of America. The Confederate States of America is an OPB style mockumentary about. What if the South had won? What wars would we have fought? What products would we have? What kind of laws would we have passed? Over the course of it, you'll see like like those uh, like you know how OPB when they have like the Civil War episodes, there'll be those like not commercials but kind of commercials. And it's like brought to you by Fidelity Mutual or whatever, right? Yeah, it has it has really racist products in it, and the kind of punchline at the end of the movie is that most of this stuff happened. Just not in the exact context of Jefferson Davis said to do it, right? So, like, we went to yeah. war with Mexico or, or with Cuba over slavery. Actually, we went to war with Mexico, too, over slavery. When Texas secedes, part of the reason they secede is because Mexico is like, yeah, we don't want slaves in our country. And the Texans are like, no, no, we really want to own people. And it led to a whole war. But finding out all that stuff, I didn't believe any of it because that's kind of your response, right? Is it, at least as not not your response, but that's my response. Growing up, white trash in Portland, thinking things are fine. And yeah. as I researched more and more of the things that the movie talked about, I was like, "Oh shit! I think the South won. I think, <laughs> I think, I think that I think that's 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 what happened." And I think part of explaining that is that we oftentimes think of wars as just a conflict between an army, right? Like the the Nazis versus the Allies, and the Allies won, so clearly that's how the war was over. Except there's more kinds of war than just you and me shooting each other. There's like culture wars, like we're seeing now as far as uh, pick a topic, <laughs> Right? There's class warfare where like you put things into place so that poor people are more likely to die than rich people. Maybe poor people have some capacity, but you know what I mean? So there's, it's important for us to recognize as we start that there's more than one kind of war you can fight besides shooting people. I mean, the war right? on are poverty, we, we... the war on drugs. Yeah. I'm on board. That... Okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Then the reason I think that it's important to discuss is because I don't think you can treat an illness without an accurate diagnosis. 
So if I'm missing three vertebrae and I don't know that I'm missing three vertebrae, I don't know why my back hurts. I just know my back hurts. And then my back's going to continue to hurt until I find out, in my case, I'm missing three vertebrae and I need to do different stuff. But at least I'll know things to do about it. And if it was possible, I, I like if it was scientifically possible, maybe I could reinsert my vertebrae. <laughs> like, <laughs> Can't we just 3D print get some? An Iron Man suit with more. Oh, we'll just. Why didn't you point We're gonna start a- by your bootstraps and 3D print some vertebrae? Dolly is asking That's actually questions. episode 75. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, 3D, vent- 3D prints vertebrae. So stay tuned for this. Best GoFundMe ever. <laughs> the, uh, the last thing I want to do kind of in the preamble is I want to... I'm not going to talk about the fights or the battles or, or Appomattox or Gettysburg. I don't care about that specifically because uh, I don't know anything about the individual. I just know a quote by Francois Truffaut. And his quote is that you can't make a good anti-war movie. Premise on that being, once you show the spectacle of war, it stops being against war. It starts being a celebration of war. Even if you're like, war is bad, just by showing it and promoting it, you're saying something kind of nominally positive about it. So I don't care. I, I, I personally think the spectacle of the warfare takes away from the war that was actually fought. I took a military history class in college, and basically all I learned is I can never not watch another war movie again, because it, it's impossible not to romanticize war when there's nothing romantic about war. Except the romance of it. <laughs> well, yeah, actually. <laughs> You're being mean. I don't like it. <laughs> I think it's I think it's Grant during the Civil War is like it's so we're so lucky that war kills people. Otherwise, everyone would want to have war. And I'm like, that's what a psychopath would say. That's <laughs> so speaking of psychopaths, let's get to let's get into things uh, and talk about kind of some stuff that happened before the uh, American Revolution, before there's an America, there's seed, there's kind of before these seeds of the Civil War uh, even are planted, the hole is dug that the seeds are planted in. And I want to start off by talking about the whole. The Civil War seeds are planted. Start from uh, kind of the moment slavery starts in America. A lot of our kind of whiter trasher friends might point out, oh, there were Irish slaves in America already. Well, that's true. But a couple important things about that. One, they're indentured contracted servants, which means at the end of your contract, you're owed something in theory. Yeah, if if I have Rochelle, if I'm Rochelle's indentured servant, she can lie to me about what the contract is over and over again. But eventually, because there's kind of the societal norm, she has to eventually let me go. Otherwise, the the other white people are going to be like, ah, that's not we have rules in Britain. Right. Mm -hmm. When black people are inserted into this against their will, it creates an artificial tension is created. You create a hierarchy. We've mentioned before about how there's this, like, when you suppress uh, uh, minority individuals and you create a vacuum in the middle class, the lower whites kind of fill this up. So if you stop holding poor indentured Irish to the accounts of slavery, when you remove them out of that, you don't want them... Rochelle doesn't want me getting pissed at her because she has it better than me and she's treating these other people, these new people, as badly as I treated. So her incentive is to be worse to them 
so that I feel like I have it better. It's a lot like parental child abuse where like the parent might be more abusive to one child. So the other child kind of favors them and is more willing to sort of you, you divide and conquer is what I was going for there. Yeah. There's no there's no reason to seek solidarity because if I seek solidarity with you, my situation isn't going to improve. My situation's going to be as bad as the people who just arrived, the new black uh chattel slavery, which is another thing that's very important that like the people who are like, "Oh, there were Irish slaves." don't quite realize. Like I said, there's a contract, there's a term of service and it ends. And there's other things. So like if you if I'm indentured to Rochelle in the scenario and I'm a woman and I have a baby, that baby is still free. It's its own person. Yeah, it's the the child of a slave, but it's free. In chattel slavery, your child is also my product. It, so so it changes it changes a whole lot of things about autonomy, but it also <laughs> creates that divide and conquer thing where it's like again, I don't feel a need to seek solidarity with those people because it's not about improving both our situations. It's about my situation will be as bad as yours. Yeah. So basically the idea is you don't want your already indentured servants to feel any sort of connections. So you make it clear that if they do, then they're going to suffer the same things that these forced slaves are dealing with. Yeah. I just want to make sure I, I get... I think so that's cool. I think <laughs> it's also important to note that the indentured servitude is very similar to, say, modern times when you sign a contract with a company and if you stay for a certain period of time, you get certain benefits and if you quit early, then you owe the money back to them. Whereas the slavery is a bit more akin to our modern prison system, only shittier. That that's yeah, a good yeah. way to put it. Thank you. Not only that, but it's it's the it's the distinction I think between peonage and slavery, which, which people like being a peasantry and slavery, because they're importing peasantry from Europe over here. And an important aspect of peasantry is you're a free person, but you're tied to the property. So as long as you do your as long as you do whatever I require of you. I don't have any more control of you or anything else. Whereas with a slave, I get it like, like you're saying, there, there's way more controls over your life. God, I feel like I'm, I, I love everything. In Wisconsin, they have cranberry bugs and you signed a contract um, to watch over the bug to make sure it doesn't freeze over in winter. And like, you don't have to pay rent or anything, um, but you also just can't leave. Okay, so it's kind of like The Shining, but with a bog? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the thing is, once your contract is and over, it... they hand you a check and then you leave. Or, like, if you work on a cruise ship, also, mm. they give you a contract and you have to stay on the boat and do whatever job they've assigned you. But then when you get off the boat, they hand you a big stack of money and you do whatever the fuck you please. Yeah, as opposed to, well, cool, go to your cell and your next assignment. And then they continue to beat you. (laughs) Yeah, there's no benefits. And much, much worse. (laughs) So that's one one part of the hole that's dug. Another another part of the hole that's dug is that not all the colonies are the same. For one thing, they're not even the same ethnic populations. You have 
English, you have French, you have Dutch, you have German, you have Irish, you have other uh, more esoteric ethnicities depending upon what nations exist at the time. So, uh, and, and that's not including the Spanish uh, colonies that are further south, and that's not including the different kinds of colonies that the British have, because they have three types where you're, there are business colonies where you're just coming to America to extract resources and sending them back to the empire. So you're some kind of company. You have what are essentially like the kings or, or the monarchs colonies, which are, hey, these are cities of our nation and your nation. These are our kind of political centers and, and administrative hubs. And then you have colonies that are uh, contracted, much more like the, the Puritans and whatnot, where they're like, look, we're part of your country. We hate your country. We want to leave your country and be somewhere else. So all these different people are what may all, all these different kind of countries are actually what the colonies are. Yeah, the melting pot, if you will. Yeah, but it's 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 much less a melting pot because a you also pot. like these colonies <laughs> fight each other. <laughs> it's melted cheese. But it's, yeah. it's... It would be it'd be fair to say the ingredients have been assembled, but the pot they're not in the pot yet. Yeah. <laughs> Well, not only that, but they're also they're also fighting each other for resources. Like sometimes the colonies go to war over like the Puritans are assholes to everybody. The Virginians are like super haughty and rich. Rhode Island is just full of crazy people. Like they're all. <laughs> it's 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 almost like history is a circle or a spiral. <laughs> but what happens is you get a culture, the, the unifying thing between all of these colonies, though, is white supremacy. It's this notion that even if you are one of these bog people, even if you are one of these, like, servants and not a slave, at least you're not a slave. At least you're not this other. Be it the the savage natives, that was fun to say. I regret that already. Or... <laughs> yeah. or the, Damn it, Patrick. Enslaved Africans. Or... Well, that's... But what I'm saying is, like, that's their perception. And, and in fact, uh, Howard Zinn makes a really good point in his book about the early colonization that, like, the colonists are just repeatedly frustrated by the fact that, like, they know in their heart of hearts that they're technologically superior. You know, after all, we crossed an entire planet to get to your spot and we have the guns to kill you. Clearly, we're better. Meanwhile, the Native Americans are living it the fuck up. <laughs> like the the Jamestown colony, when it arrives, it has like 150 people. And after its first winter, there are like 60 left. And they're like yeah. digging up their own graves to eat each other. It's so bad. Meanwhile, the Native Americans are just like, it's another winter. What, what's your guys' problem? That means that they're unifying trait. They're, they're, they're not unified by the fact that they're Dutch or German or even English. They're unified by the fact that they're white, a specific kind of white, because as people will oftentimes notice, note, like Irish is lower than English. Depends on what racist you're talking to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because like Southern Europeans, especially like Eastern Europeans, uh, Italians, because, um, like, in those places, they tended to have a little bit darker cast of their skin, too. So that was an argument as well. Oh, I hate everything. Oh, no, it's great. It's, uh, <laughs> it's perfect. So it's no notes. Five stars. Five no stars. Notes. Yeah. 
So what happens, to kind of fast forward through time a little bit, this culture of white supremacy is the biggest unifier. There are traditions, but they're very shallow and they're very new as they come across, right? So you're not having, there's no, there's no Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever. In fact, when the Puritans get here, they ban Christmas. So like the unifying trait that people see, the biggest unifier is, oh, we're white and it's this, this thing that I mentioned all the way back in the Diocletian episode. But the, the Founding Fathers are really big fanboys of Rome. And they're big fanboys yeah. of Rome specifically because Rome is an imperial colony that survives by having native tribes fight each other uh, while they use slavery to expand their empire. Slavery and warfare. Yeah. So if you're Thomas Jefferson, you're looking back at that and you're like, wow, they had a republic that lasted like 500 years. I want one of those. We're just going to copy as much of that as possible. Especially the genocide. Yeah, especially you can't do it without the genocide. The part, that's a really important thing, too. I, I part, Another one of the inspirations for the podcast is that like, I used to sit my kid down for like hour or two long lectures. And he was just like, I'm done. I'm done. I have school dad. I don't I don't need you. And. Um, but one of the one of the lectures I gave him was about how he and I have benefited from slavery, because if you look at population sizes and you look at population centers like the, the, the city buildings, there's almost nothing. And then as soon as we get slavery, there's houses everywhere. It's it's almost as if we put a bunch of people to work to do that. So we didn't have to. It's, it's I'm sorry. It's bizarre to me because there are so many people who are like, I don't I don't see that that I don't see how those things are related. <laughs> like I've met at least one person in my lifetime who was just like, I don't understand how those things are related. I'm like, I don't understand how you can breathe in and out. <laughs> oh, there's a right. lot of that. So, yeah, so there's a big war called the Revolutionary War. It's honestly a British civil war because when the colonists start fighting in the 1770s with the British, it's not to be independent from British. It's to maintain the rights, air quotes, that they've always had. So the Boston Tea Party isn't about go away Britain. It's about we want the same rights as the as what we perceive naturally born British citizens have. Because an important part of colonization is the, the colonizing people have fewer rights than the people than the fatherland or the motherland. Yeah, we see that in modern American imperialism as well, like with Puerto Rico, um, a lot of yeah. the islands in the Pacific yeah. and in the Atlantic. Like a lot of those places are under our rule, but literally have no bargaining chips at all. Yeah, we don't do anything for them. That's what the war is over. It, it, it's like if Puerto Rico was like staged a military action so that we would give them the right to vote. That's their inspiration. What ends up happening after the war, after the war is won, is is a like I mentioned, you have no real tradition. Your only your only cultural trait again to just keep hammering this point home is that white supremacy. So what they do after the war is they try to establish a government. And that's where this thing called the Articles of Confederation come in. They're totally worth their own episode. But the really important thing about the Articles of Confederation is that it has a different version of states' rights and federal power than we know today. To put it real, real, real simply, it gives the states more power than the federal government. And it effectively functions kind of more like the United Nations than the Congress that we know today. Instead of each state kind of having rough approximate parallels, what you get is each state is its own nation on this continent, and we're unified by a variety of things, namely white supremacy. Yeah. 
Didn't they have like different part of the too? Yeah, they had different currencies. You mm-hmm. would have like different fucking tariffs and taxes. You might even like, and this is actually from the start. From from even this point, the South is kind of not necessarily threatening to secede, but they're like, yeah, this is a great system. We get to do our own things. We get to make up the rules for how our colony wants to do things because one of the big issues with the the style of white supremacy is that in the south you have an actual black population in the north you have very limited black people populations like there's very few uh, there's small tight-knit communities but there's not millions of people the way there are in 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 plantations and whatnot and so because of that, your form of white supremacy is one's about excluding black people and one is about taking advantage of black people. And so even from the Articles of Confederation, that's kind of in place, like slavery is legal all over the place, but it's way more legal in the South. So, Patrick, I did want to ask, um, would you say that the type of government that we had at that point because I know that didn't we get uh, inspiration from some Native American communities on how to set up yeah, our yeah. structures, and so that probably modeled more the way those uh, those different tribes would interact with each other and have those yeah. agreements, right? Yeah, because Ben Franklin goes and parties with the Algonquin Indians and a bunch of other tribes uh, and sees how they do things. And it's like, this is a great system because basically what they decide, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm shortchanging it a lot, instead of it being kind of territorial, it's people wise. And it's a thing where it's like, you can leave the Confederation whenever you want, but you're always a part of it. It's it's I'm. I am not going to do it much justice. But yes, you are correct. <laughs> well, because like Ben Franklin is seeing is seeing this system, and he's like, "Hey, these natives have a pretty good thing here." But like, you know, what it needs is some enlightenment and some liberty. Liberty meaning the right to own property, and we count people as property. So it's it's a it's a, it's a hybrid of both for sure. Yeah. I was just curious. But the important part is it doesn't create any kind of federal structure. And one of the real fears of, you know, noted pedophile and human trafficker Thomas Jefferson is that somebody like Britain will come back and kind of influence the government that's happening and then just undo all of their hard revolutionary work. So that's why after a few years, the Articles of Confederation end up transforming into the Constitution we all know and love so much. (laughs) And a really important thing that's in the Constitution, basically, as soon as they're writing the Constitution, like at the convention, the South is like, you know what, that's a, that's a great thing you guys are doing there. We're just going to leave and go do our own thing. Like, they, they threaten to secede, like, from the start because they have their own economic power. They don't necessarily need to be tied economically to the North. Uh, and so one of the compromises that's made is, okay, we're going to put slavery in the whole country's constitution, uh, but we're going to spend 20 years working on the problem. And then in 20 years, we're going to come up with a solution. Except instead of doing that, what it does is the South entrenches itself and starts like writing more and more arguments for why slavery is good, why it's necessary. So that's cool. There's a, there's a really good video series on YouTube by Yale University. Uh, on the, the the Civil War, one of the points uh, the teacher makes is that from from that point in 1776 or so, or, or 1780, I think, whatever, it, whenever they come up with the Constitution, they put in that clause. And as soon as that clause is put in, literature is produced 
about why it's acceptable, which means by the time we get to the Civil War, there are whole volumes explaining the philosophy, political necessity, economic reasons that slavery needs to exist. So those 20 years weren't spent, let's actually solve the problem and figure out how to get rid of it. It was instead, let's for one side, it was let's spend 20 years ignoring the problem. And for the other side, it was let's spend 20 years justifying the problem. Oh, this sounds like modern Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to vomit. I was actually draw, thinking in my head the parallel of like, like I've been the drunk dude in a relationship. And there's that whole thing where you're like, well, well, listen, yeah. I'll just... Not drink when we hang out. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, no, it's... you. <laughs> but but like you'll you'll have this thing when you're an addict. <laughs> you'll have this thing as an addict or whatever. I, I don't even like using addict. Whatever. You, you have this thing where you're like, okay, we're not gonna. I just won't drink when I'm hanging around my girlfriend. And then eventually you move in with your girlfriend, and they find out what a drunk you are. But at the same time, like she's been ignoring the fact that I'm drinking. I've been hiding the fact that I'm drinking, and when that when those two forces collide, it turns out Pat drinks a lot, right? Like, <laughs> it's not the case. That's not the case these days. But but you see kind of how that like I can see how that happens on an interpersonal level. And you're right; it very much is kind of the groundwork for our Democrats and Republicans today. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Oof. Yeah, yeah. It's good. It's great. It's it's uh it's. It's fantastic. So as as we're building up to the revolution, uh, a couple of things to one other thing to kind of review from a previous episode. We talked about this in the Matthew Paul Deddy episode. The the real conflict the North and the the North has with slavery is not that it's oppressing people. It's that slavery is the minimum wage. Beating you half to death and taking advantage of you in every way possible is literally just about the least I can pay you. It, it's like that they took our jobs. Yeah, it's very much yeah. that. Except, except the other thing, and we we actually talked about this on the comedy episode. The other thing is you don't have an accurate perception either. Mm-hmm. You think they're just they black people, sorry, enslaved people are down there being lazy because they're provided housing, but you have to pay rent. So clearly they must have it better. They're provided food. So you have to buy your own food. So clearly you don't think about the fact that it's a, it's, it's not a home. It's not sustainable food. There's, there's all this bullshit that you don't think about when you have that mindset. So like all those freedoms, trans women keep getting. Oh my gosh. All the privilege (laughs) from being a trans woman. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, it's very much the same conversation. Because, and, and part of the issue, I think, historically, is that we move the ball, so to speak, and then we don't address what happens as we move the ball. So it's like, like, as we'll go stepping outside the episode for a minute, but it's like you have the 1960s uh, uh, civil rights movements and they don't add women to that. And so after that, women start fighting for the right to vote and whatnot. And we ignore the fact that we actually haven't solved the issue of, of rights for black people. But then once you give women kind of the notice of issue uh, of rights, then homosexual people, I, I, like, I think that's the correct timeline. And it, it, we continue to move the ball and not solve the problem. It's annoying because every time there is a step forward, the people who are against it are going to be like, well, that happened. So obviously it's fixed. Uh, then that's a big part of the problem. And there's also this thing where, like, if having been a a cis white male most of my life, as far as I know, uh, (laughs) there is is this narrative you're told there's a certain number of rights. 
And if my if your rights are increased, mine must be diminished somehow. There's no way it, it's that same mindset of before all the way back in the 1600s where it's like, well, you and I can't have equal. If you and I are equal, that means I have less, too. Yep. Instead of thinking like, oh, that person has more. I'm glad you brought this up, Patrick, because I've always wanted to ask, how does what is the logic? there? How does that make sense? Part of my problem is I've never fully understood it. But I think what it is, is it's kind of a trauma brain response. It's to go back to that example of children being abused. If we're both getting hit by mom and dad. And then dad stops hitting me as much or whatever, or or our parents stop hitting me as much. I'm going to think I did something right. I'm not going to think that, oh, our parents are less flawed for a minute or whatever. And so I I, like that's that's the only thing I can see that makes sense is it's you you can't think of the idea of having more. You can't think of the idea. It's this weird thing where you don't acknowledge that there's a hierarchy, but you're very firmly entrenched in a hierarchy and you can't see outside of it. Genuinely engaging with the fact that you have more than people like people don't want to do that. So the argument is I don't actually have more because I've had to work so much harder to have that. They think that Mm -hmm. they deserve that more, too. And oh, that's silly. Is, but I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I kind of feel like that's part of it. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think it's also like if I'm if my life is shitty and I know my life is shitty and I know somebody it's this thing I've always thought about where it's like part of the trick rich people play is they're always like, hey, poor whites, you could do better. But for black people or Mexican people or pick your target. Yeah. Right. And then you you look to those minoritized people and you say, hey, look, I want you to have as much as me. I want us to be equal. But, you know, these 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 fucking unmanageable, poor, crazy whites are just fucking fucking you over. Like they're just being it's it's their fault. It's not mine. It's the fact that you have to compete with those assholes. It's not the fact that I hold all the resources and I'm keeping them from both of you. It's the fact that, like. You guys are keeping each other's resources from each other, so you never have to think about it. There's this thing in the South that happens a lot where poor white people will be in conditions that aren't they, – they aren't the same and that you're not enslaved. But you're, you're living in similar housing. You're eating similar food. And if the bar is set as low as slavery, anything I do over that bar is kindness. It's kind of the opposite approach to what I have as a dad, where it's like my dad set the bar so low – like, just hugging my kid and knowing his name means I'm a great dad, <laughs> right? But if, if, if the bar is so low that I can control your body in any fashion and uh, steal all of your labor and resources, then as long as I'm not doing that to you, you're privileged. It's, it's, it's like an optical illusion. It's fucking awful. And that, my friends, is reverse intersectionality. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, kind of, kind of. So we focus very much right now, and and I think in school, we focus real hard on what's going on in America before the Civil War. But one of the things I don't think we think about is how much outside of America is defining itself. It's helping America define itself. Because as I've tried to kind of harp on, 
America doesn't have any traditions or real identity for the first hundred or so years. It's it's a bunch of states trying to figure out how they it's a bunch of roommates with different levels of resources saying like, hey, it's cool that I beat my kid. Hey, it's cool that I smoke crack. Hey, it's cool that I whatever. And instead of acknowledging like, oh, maybe I got a little wrong and you got a little wrong and we all have work to do. It's people being like, no, this is just who I am. And you kind of double down on it. But you're also exploring this national identity because there are other nations in the world. Yeah. So it's kind of like you, 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 can't, you can't help but compare your family to the one next door because they're next door. And whatever they do is going to influence you. So there's a lot of other things that go on outside of America that kind of influence how we do things. Uh, one of the bigger things is the French Revolution happens a little bit after the American Revolution. Like we have our revolution. Like it goes, there's the English Civil War that leads to parliaments and an executive office that they call the king. We have our revolution and we import that kind of parliamentary system and we change the king to an executive officer that we call president. In France, they see all that and they're like, man, getting rid of kings is great. Let's do that. And then it gets more and more extreme. It keeps ramping itself up. They go through this age of terror. There's beheadings. There's all that crazy stuff. But their revolution kind of sets all of Europe on fire. Like, it, Europe is at war post-French Revolution, like, kind of continuously almost until the Second World War. But isn't like, there's it never, still at war yeah, like, during the Second World War? Yeah, yeah, I mentioned... <laughs> yeah, there is that part. No, actually, it was yeah. weird. The World War was everywhere but Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder I wonder how much of America's Civil War is like, well, they're not fighting with us, so I guess we gotta fight ourselves. <laughs> well no, we have we have we have conflicts going on up until there. Like we have the War of eighteen twelve, which is just us having a dick yeah. measuring contest with Britain. We go to war with Mexico. We're we we have like these weird uh uh pseudo <laughs> Yeah, we have reasons I've already explained. And we have, like, a Cold War with France on and off for a while because, like, if I remember right, we – don't quote me on this, but I think it's, like, we don't support their revolution, so they get butthurt and think, like, we're out to get them and siding with the British. And we're like, nah, fuck the British. Like, But then we don't go to war. We're just constantly, like, circling it. It's a whole thing. But – the French Revolution leads to kind of a whole bunch of wars continuously over Europe. It leads to other kinds of revolution there. It also, until Napoleon comes, that's a whole thing. It also leads to the Haitian Revolution, which is super important because, A, Haiti is just south of us. Like, like not just South America, but it's, it's much closer than revolutionary France. Uh, more importantly than anything else, Haiti is the first and I think only successful uh, uh, enslaved people to take over their nation. I, Correct. I think that's an that accurate statement. Was the and, bomb. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, and it's and it's super. There's a there's a great podcast I recommend our listeners go check out called Revolutions Podcast, and uh, the, the the guy's coverage of the Haitian Revolution is very in depth and it's very nuanced because there's a lot of things that go on, but the big thing is. The South is always scared of slave uprisings. They they don't document it. I can't it, imagine but why. It's a thing that happens. What would they be afraid of? <laughs> yeah, they're doing such kind <laughs> things for these I people. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, part of the part of the myth. You're fine because part of the myth we tell ourselves, or we're told as kids, is that like we don't talk about slave uprisings in school because we it sells the myth of like a, a of of a happy slave. 
because we don't want to question what actually happened there. So, oh, sorry, I've had someone say that some slave owners treated their slaves really good, and I'm just oh like, God, I love how, that one. How, how does how does that ever matter in this conversation? Like ever. <laughs> sorry. <sighs> no, it's. It, it always makes me think of like it's it's this weird thing of like when you have abusive parents and and you leave home and you don't admit that you were abused you can't see your own abusive behavior mm-hmm. it's, yes. it's kind of the same thing it's like it's like i was taken advantage of and beaten as a child like why is it weird that we did that to people we own it's interesting fact i think side note about the haitian revolution is part of the reason it it is so successful is that the population is much more dramatically black versus white in the yeah. in Haiti. There's a it, it's approximately consistently ten percent. It, it's the same ten percent white population, and then ninety percent of the island's population is black and slave people. But it's a heavily rotating people because they just it's a fucking human. It's a it, it's a massive. I don't know. It's a turtle house. It's just. It's, Ah, it's gross. It's gross. It's gross, and I hate. I hate it. It's it's what the South is scared of happening to them, even though the numbers uh, are dramatically different. I think it's something like a third of the South was enslaved people versus that ninety percent population that is continuously either. Also, there's like runaway slaves in in Haiti that uh, have a very important contribution to it. But the important part is that it's, it's a successful slave revolt. It's not that far from us and it's everything the South is scared of and it happens. So they see, Oh shit, it can happen. Like it fucking, it did, it did. And in addition to that, in the South American revolutions, as Simon Bolivar is going across, uh, and doing his thing in, in South America, he is, ending slavery in each of the republics that he establishes uh not right away it's not until he takes some time in haiti and has to like hide away there and it's like oh shit human rights those matter (laughs) as as the south american revolutions are occurring one of the things they're doing is ending the slave trade amongst themselves if you're the southern slave owners you're seeing well if we have a revolution or a war it will light on fire and never end because that's what's going on in Europe. It's very possible for slaves to uprise and and revolt and kill all the whites because that's what happened in Haiti. And if if we have revolution from an outside force, much like South America did, there's every possibility that they're going to take away slavery from us, that they will, will put an end to it. Granted, Cuba and Brazil don't put an end to slavery until the 1880s, but the places that Bolivar starts, like Colombia. Oh, yeah, they were. So all that's going on outside of the country. Leading up to the Civil War, we have three really important things that are are oftentimes discussed in school that are worth uh, reiterating now. One is the uh, uh, Kansas-Nebraska affair. Basically, uh, there was a point until like the 1840s, 50s, where slavery is only allowed at the Missouri Compromise. I think it's like the 45th parallel. Below that, you can have slavery. Above that, we don't need slaves. And it's it's a thing where as we establish, as we steal territory from the Native Americans and create states, we keep trying to decide which one's slave, which one's free. Depending upon where that line is, it doesn't always work for people. Like, there's that famous thing about the Texas Panhandle, where, like, they gave part of their territory to Oklahoma, because they're like, we want to own people that bad. Oh, my God. 
So the important part about Kansas, Nebraska is it's a pre, it's like a pseudo civil war before there's a civil war because they fight. Basically, they're like, all right, cool. You, we'll just let the slate, the states decide who gets to own people. And so what they do is all these slavers convince poor whites to go to Kansas and all these like took our job style dudes go to Kansas for like white reasons and they all just kind of have a pseudo war where they like elect governments like like elect congresses and then fight each other and shit and it ends up like the president at the time's a lazy piece of shit and he doesn't get involved and he's like oh, they'll just solve it themselves <laughs> Which shitty president was that? Oh, shit. One second. Because there's, there's two really shitty ones that are hilarious. It's Franklin Pierce, if I remember right. Rochelle's looking it up. I can hear the typing. Well, so I looked up James K. Polk. Uh, he was president from 1845 to 1849. So where are we on the timeline? Okay. So Franklin Pierce was the one I was thinking. Or, or here, let me double check. Yeah, because James K. Pierce Polk was um, 1845 to 1849 as president. I was also looking up gerrymandering. I guess we were gerrymandering from the beginning. That was just when the term was popularized, when 1812. But it was specifically to make, like, yeah. really, like, underrepresented boroughs in cities where, like, there were so few people that could vote that it was really easy to just shove someone in. Nice. I'm glad gerrymandering's always been around, and it's funny to think about it. Well, it's just... That's kind of how my love life works, too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's... you're like an emergency escape pod on star trek yeah <laughs> all right um that was so it was it was franklin pierce franklin pierce is is great because he was like he was a terrible person and then he was a terrible president like like but he had like all this shit going again like he was an alcoholic and then like a week or a month before inauguration, he gets in a train wreck and watches his kid get decapitated. But besides oh that, he's the kind of person where I'm like, where I'm like, that might, yeah, yeah. But he's also he also thinks abolitionists are a threat to the unity of the United States because like they wanna they wanna have race mixing. <laughs> like, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. <laughs> yeah. There, let me go back to my notes real quick. Sorry, I just got distracted. But yeah, I found Franklin Pierce is just a great piece of shit. He's, he's he he lets Nebraska happen. He gets eventually voted out of office. When Lincoln comes in, is when all the sessions happen. The important thing about Lincoln coming into office is a Lincoln isn't in any way an abolitionist, and in fact, he never joins. He's never a part of any kind of society. He's a part of that kind of northern tradition of white supremacy that's like oh, look we just need white people and he comes up with plans to basically get rid of black people from america as the civil war is going on like there's plans to move them to panama liberia ends up getting or libya one of those two i can't remember now liberia. ends up getting founded in africa liberia yeah as we as we send uh enslaved people back of course not to the right spot not to not to like any yeah. place nice also not to any place we actually own like there's already i actually um used to work with a kid who grew up there and he was saying there was there, there's still tensions today between yeah that people who were didn't go very well native it the, sounds like the, the a pre-palestine yeah yeah a little bit yeah exactly except we sent Except we just sent the, the Jews there. Like, that's the, the Jewish people there. That's the biggest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. D you don't have to come home. But seriously, don't stay here either. You cannot stay here. Yeah. And the thing about Lincoln is uh, this this 
He reminds me of Joe Biden. Yeah. He's not promising to actually fix anything. He's, his big thing is, I will keep the union whole. And, and they're both Republicans. That's the big issue. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Getting to the war. I don't, like I said, I don't want to talk about the fighting itself. There, there's a whole winter where all the people secede and leave uh, all, all the states. And eventually, like, six more secede after the initial wave of secessions. But that's this whole other thing. The important thing about the war, I think, that we kind of forget. There's a lot of things we forget about the war or a lot of things we're not taught in school to give it really important context. One of the important things when you have a war is your end goal. The North's end goal is very specific and kind of doesn't change a lot over the course of the war. All the North cares about is unification. All it cares about is is build back better. Their their take is that it's illegal for you to leave our union. Therefore, we're just going to take back what was ours. It, it, it's not about fixing the reasons you left. It's not about making a, a better whole. It's about the fact you left, get back here. And that doesn't change much over the course of the war. So it's not it's not even about conquering. And in fact, when the United States government is talking with other nations, we never say we're at a civil war. Instead, we're just taking some military actions. We're just doing X, Y and Z, because the moment you're at a civil war, you kind of succeed in the South's main goal. So their first goal, they have multiple goals is the important thing, actually, for the South. Their, their first goal before they even secede is to do as much as possible to keep slavery. By the way, nobody has threatened to take slavery away from them at this point. At no point before 1850, before the war itself, is anybody even talking about abolishing. Like there are people who are like, yeah, we should abolish slavery. But there are people like how today I'm like, we should abolish capitalism. It's it's not it's not a thing they think they can do. <laughs> yeah. The the South is is terrified of this possibility, so they go to war to keep slavery. But what they're fighting for is recognition, because the moment say France or uh, Britain acknowledges that you're a nation, you have certain rights. It's it's a different kind of war entirely. It's one of those I'm 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 doing this part because I don't care about warfare. I'm doing this part <laughs> a little bit of injustice. I'll admit my failings. But the important part is the war starts off as the South saying, we want to be acknowledged. We exist. We want our nation to be this way. We, we, we want to live to get... We want to be a divorced couple in the same house. And as the war escalates, the, the North's efforts to unify become more and more extreme. It goes from a series of policing actions to total war. It stops being about, we're going to fight your army on the battlefield. And it becomes this issue of, we're going to conquer these belligerent places. And that changes the way the war is fought. It stops being between like two groups of men attacking each other and instead the north goes along and is like hey charleston is ours hey virginia i don't remember the exact order but but instead of fighting the army they reconquer the lost territory and this is where you get things like the burning of uh uh shit, is it charlottesville it's one of those where where sherman goes on a march throughout right like i said i don't care about all the, the actual battles but the important part is about two years three years into the war the nature of it changes where it's no longer all right we're gonna have our armies fight until we're out of men and then whoever has the most people left wins and it starts being okay we're just gonna take it back fuck you guys like well <laughs> as long as we're in control of it it doesn't matter what you do 
Interesting. Solid. And there's some other stuff that I think is important to note about the armies themselves that has nothing to do with with the warfare again. For one thing, in the South, 80% of the army is conscriptions. And not only that, but there's this rule where if you own 10 or more people, you don't have to go to war. So oh my the only God. people fighting are... Yeah. And... <laughs> Jesus. And in addition to that, there are there are also guerrilla cells in the South that are fighting against the South. Like there are all these like Appalachian people and shit that are like, nah, fuck that. We didn't we didn't want to go to war. Fuck you guys. Like I'm into that. And at the same time, in the North, one of the issues is okay. You have you have conscription, but it's way less. I think it's like ten to twenty percent of the army. Not only that. But you, you also have a similar deal where if you're, if I'm rich enough, I can pay Rochelle to go for me. So I can just, I mean, not R- Robert, I can pay Robert, I don't know, whatever, but you know what I mean. Like I can, if I'm a rich enough man, I can pay another man to take my place. That happens in the North as well. But another thing that happens is the forces that make up the Union Army are roughly one quarter immigrant. So there, you, you arrive in America you're like this Irish dude who's like escaped the potato famine and you show up in America and they're like, all right, the only way you can prove you're an American is to get in the army and go fight these other Americans. <laughs> so it's great. It's, uh, it's points for consistency. It definitely sounds like a lot of these soldiers really didn't have much of a vested interest in supporting the, the army that they fought for. Honestly. Yeah. As happens in all kinds of traumatic situations, you trauma bond with the mm. people around you. So so these poor Southerners who don't own people fighting for slavery, a.k.a. white supremacy, like white supremacy in its most concentrated form is what they're fighting for. No, they don't own people, but they're fighting for what they're, they're fighting for what they think is their culture. In the North, you're having the same fight and they're being as they see the conditions that slaves are put into, it becomes more and more about, okay, the only way we can, A, this is horrific, this is terrible things, but the generals are realizing, oh, the only way to steal power from the South is to cut it out from underneath them and abolish their economic force. Slavery. It's a lot like if we went to a war with, like, Saudi Arabia, and then we realized, oh, you know what would help us succeed? If we switched to solar. Like, I, I, I love making these things that make me want to puke, but it's kind of the, the most basic way of putting it. Oh, my God. It's pretty accurate. That's, and that's what ends up ending the war, is we take away their economic power. And, and initially, Lincoln doesn't want to do this at all. Like, he has a lot of reticence. He tries a bunch of, as I said, he tries a bunch of different things to, to deal with it. And in fact, he's certain that if he does the Emancipation Proclamation, it will lose him the election and the war. But as, as he goes along, he at least grows enough of a conscience that he's like, oh, this is actually... He meets Frederick Douglass. <laughs> Frederick Douglass works his magic on him. And there's a whole bunch of stuff there. But the, the, the important part is that uh, Abe Lincoln gets a black friend and is suddenly like, oh, I guess you are people. Yeah, it's the same thing that happened to me in high school. It's, uh, it's Okay. <laughs> Actually, I don't think that was in high school. I think it was elementary school. But whatever. It's Okay, so the war happens. The, the physical war ends by basically the, the eventually the armies go from total warfare. Like, like the Union forces kind of split up into two armies where 
one group is like conquering the south and the other one is engaging the army and the group engaging the army eventually kind of wins their fight and it it allows the united states to be like we're done with war even though we have soldiers fighting in conflicts throughout the country oh that's so weird (laughs) mission accomplished like the pandemic is over Mm -hmm. yeah yeah system normal and in fact it's the war ending that leads to uh lincoln's assassination because because wilkes booth is like i didn't know this but apparently he was considered like a handsome star at the time and like yeah it's 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 like if alex baldwin had shot a person it's (laughs) problem with lincoln's assassination lincoln has a sort of plan for after the war for how to bring the south back into air quotes, the greater United States. It is a really shitty plan. It's something like one in ten people have to say that they're loyal to the United States again, and then we'll be fine. <laughs> and it seems like there's very, if I remember right, like there's, yeah, like there's no, the idea is that like the officers on above will be arrested, the general soldiers will be sent back, and then we'll have, maybe we'll have trials, maybe we'll do something, we don't know yet, let's let's end the war, and then we'll think about what to do after the war. We're gonna have people do some pinky swears. Yeah. <laughs> do you pinky swear not to start another confederacy? <laughs> but Lincoln gets shot. Cross your heart and hope to die. Yeah, so he gets shot. Uh, he actually died. Uh, and they, it kind of changes what's going on because the, the power dynamics change. Uh, and one of the important things to note is a president's power, like the peak of presidential powers are during wartime. Otherwise, nominally, the president isn't really supposed to be that important. Like it, it, he, he's got some powers, but ideally, the, it, it's a republic. It's not a monarchy. And it's not a monarchy with a parliament. It's a, a this is a thing that we from the start try to tell ourselves that because we're a democratic republic, we're better than other places. And to clarify the definition of a republic versus like democracy, there's this thing I love hearing about how anarchy uh, enacted looks like democracy because everybody's voting on things. There's committees and whatnot. Yeah. Whereas a republic is just I elect you to be my king or one of my mini kings. Like it's it's a yeah. it's a different dynamic. After the war, powers are going to change from like, like the the nature of what the president can and can't do is supposed to change. But because there's still some wartime stuff, Lincoln's replacement, a guy named Andrew Johnson, uh, takes over. Johnson is racist for the 1800s. Like, there are racist people who talk to Andrew Johnson and are like, wow, that guy is racist. Oof. Yeah, he was, he was a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and his, but he was, he, he's, he's weird because he also hates the slave owners. But it's not, it's not I hate you because you own people. It's I hate you because you made so much more money than me owning people. Again, the reverse intersectionality. (laughs) So basically a capitalist is what you're saying. Yeah. So he hates the planner class, but uh, the the class breakdown in the South is really kind of, I don't want to go into the whole thing, but it goes kind of planters, property owners. There's a middle class of whites that are like industrialists and and, uh, 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 overseers. And then you have the poor whites and you have freedmen and then you have slaves. Roughly, that's the hierarchy. Johnson is in that group of landowners that doesn't own people. And so what he does 
is say, okay, anybody who owned people and anybody who's higher up in the Confederacy is automatically like in full. Their their rights are limited X, Y, and Z, unless they come to the president and I give them a pardon. So what this means is that there's like these lines of Southern women who basically show up and plead for their husband's cases as to why we should get our property back, why we shouldn't go to prison. So it's this weird, like, jerk-off festival for this dude of people coming in and being like, hey, can you forgive my husband for starting a revolution and give us all our stuff back? No. <laughs> I, I got... I guess, I guess technically rebellion. And the issue with this is that at the time, as, as the powers are shifting, there is an actually radical group of Republicans in office. People who want to abolish slavery. People who want to uh, expand, who want to pioneer in what we will eventually call civil rights. People who want to create, if not equity, at least equality. And they're at kind of constant loggerheads with Johnson, right? And it ends up Johnson is our first president to be not only tried and impeached, but removed from office because of this. And it's they end up doing it through some like political maneuvering where they like trick him into impeaching himself. It's a whole the important part is (laughs) that there is this. Yeah, they tell him basically they make a law that they know he's going to break and then they get him in trouble for breaking that law. Oh, my God. Why didn't the Dems (laughs) do that with Trump? Oh, wait, uh, they because have no it goes spine. about as well as I mean, there's that, too. There's <laughs> definitely that, too. But it's also part of the plan for these radical Republicans for the from the north is that like they want to again, their focus is mo- mainly on white people. So they want to create an environment in which middle class and poor whites from the north can kind of infiltrates the wrong word, but kind of like uh, sieve into the south and become a part of it. Their goal is to get rid of slavery and replace it with their version of white supremacy. Stupid white supremacy. <laughs> so after, I'm tired of people telling me I'm better because I'm not. <laughs> I am subpar so, at best. Uh, after that, and and <laughs> we are all subpar. That is that is the weirdest. I mean, that is that is kind of the catch. That that's one of the tricks of white supremacy. Is it is it's supposed to? This goes back to that thing Dalia was asking earlier, where you're like, how do you justify that? Well, you say, hey, I'm not. Everyone's telling me I'm superior, but I don't have any of the means of superiority. Therefore, the thing that's in my way must be the outside. Because I'm a part of the system. Everything I, I'm a straight white male. I match what's supposed to succeed. The fact that I'm not succeeding must be the fault of other things. Mm. Not the fact that it's a system that doesn't work. Not the fact that like I'm not actually a part of the elites. None of that. It can't be me at all. <laughs> that makes sense. So what happens is, it's like, yeah, it's great. It's 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 this weird thing where like we refuse to acknowledge that maybe humans have a little less free will than we think it's fun yeah we're real dumb <sighs> so uh one of the less dumb things that we do well, maybe dumb i don't know how you want to think about it is after johnson getting impeached doesn't send a message per se but it gives the idea that radicalism 
that 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 this kind of idea of civil rights, even though it hasn't been defined as such, is is coming. It's ascending, and it creates that illusion of well, if the if the blacks are rising, the whites have to lose, which creates a lot of tension in the South. So these these eighty percent of people get sent home, and their reaction is to see these other people show up, and basically, you didn't want to leave home. You don't care about like your situation isn't any better and the only people they're talking about improving people's whose lives they're talking about improving aren't yours and not only that but you don't have anything to do except like there's no economy in the south post-slavery at least not right away so there's no jobs and there's nothing to do but sit around and think of ruminate like think of all the shit you fucked up and the ways you've been fucked over and and yay that's not all that's going on, though. That's, that's, not, that, that's not exclusive to all of the poor whites, though. There are plenty of people who come back to the South or who were already in the South and start actually seeking solidarity with poor blacks. They realize, hey, you being oppressed also kept me down. That thing I said before about if you lower the bar and can just scrape above it, they're realizing, like, oh, the, the knee on your the, the boot on your throat is the knee on mine. Like they're they're connected and they're seeing that and you get the creation of these of these fusion parties that are composed of black people and white people, which is something that had never happened before. And in addition to that, you also get the enfranchisement of you, you get the amendment that enfranchises people, uh, black people specifically, black men specifically. Yeah. Right. And so you set the standard of rights as slightly higher. You no longer say it, it's more of that illusionary thing where it's it's not all white men now. It's all men. And so you also create another a future. It's that thing I was talking about, about you move the ball to where you're like, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. We gave black people the right black men the right to vote. That problem solved. Meanwhile, you know, the female half of the nation <laughs> doesn't have a voice. <laughs> I don't know. I heard that we shouldn't have a voice because we are just making it worse. That's, that's we are what I've been hearing. way too emotional too. Too emotional. Ugh. I, I, yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna say out of out of the two genders, the one that solution to owning people is war. Yeah, clearly y- y- y'all are the. <laughs> so at the same time that these fusion parties are creating and electing, here's the really important part though. Not only are they enfranchising black people, they're also electing black people into office. Louisiana oh, uh, has like a majority. <laughs> Like there's whole and there's whole districts like there's whole majority districts that are black in a way that has never happened before. But at the same time, up top. So like we had before, Andrew Jackson pulls his shit and then the radical Republicans kind of impeach him and take over and transition the message a bit. Right. Of, oh, we want to do this thing. It's good. This is also about 10 years into fighting. So there's been like a four, six, four to six year war, depending if you want to include Nebraska into it. Or Kansas, Nebraska, do it. But you also have continuous military actions of some kind or another. Because at the same time that the fusion parties are forming, you have all these upset middle-class white dudes airing their grievances with each other and forming fun little, little clubs, clans, clans, that's a good word. Little, 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 yeah, little affinity groups. <laughs> Sorry. Uh what they're doing is they're comparing their grievances and like as i've said a multitude of times the only real culture is white supremacy and one of the really one of the things that really happens with 
the North winning the military combat of the war is it kind of creates a false unification of the North and the South. There's no longer a North and a South. There is America and the frontier. But the important part is that there's now, we're all, air quotes, America. And in order to kind of get back to your, your culture, again, air quotes, which is white supremacy, you start creating these groups that are like, well, clearly we're better. And, and just like when you're like, hey, in 20 years, we're going to decide the issue of slavery. These people start building up their arguments for what white supremacy is and why it needs to be in place. This is when you get things like phrenology starting and shit. where <gasps> They're like, well, clearly it's the bumps in the skulls. I had someone be like, how is that racist? And I was like, what? Because, yeah. And I was just like, so do you know anything about phrenology? They're like, no, not really. But what makes it racist? And I'm just like, great. I'm so sorry that because someone once told you something was racist, now you have to make sure everyone is accurate when saying that. That now I have to do research because you don't know your shit. <laughs> yeah. Don't get eugenics. It's, that was good. It's great when someone. Oh, yeah. Eugenics is fucking yeah. trash. But it's not racist. Not no, at all. No, not racist. Sarcasm fun. <laughs> like I said, up top you have the, the radical Republicans and Andrew Johnson go through their things. After Andrew Johnson is impeached, uh, Ulysses S. Grant gets elected. Grant was, I don't know the truth of this, but I heard he decided his first name because he loved the country so much. He was like, I want to have the same initials. U.S. Grant. <laughs> So, so he gets elected and he's actually, I mean, he's, he's, his policies with the Native Americans are fucking god awful, but his, his oh, policy yeah. towards black people are very, are, are pretty progressive for the time. He very much, because he, there, there's this whole thing, uh, oh, that I skipped over, but <laughs> during the war as, as, well, no, during the war as black people are fleeing uh, the South, like as slaves are, are freeing themselves and running away, they're meeting up with these military groups so that they won't get recaptured. And what they end up being referred to is contraband because thanks to the, thanks to people being property and thanks to the Fifth Amendment, we can't take away your property. What you have instead is contraband property. And so the people that are following us aren't people their contraband taken away from people who aren't allowed to own that property. Oof. So, yeah, that's cool. That's dope. But Grant is one of the people, like Grant's army has one of these, what they call contraband camps, following him. And he, he, he gains some amount of empathy. It turns out exposure to people in shitty conditions makes you have some amount of sympathy for them. He's very much... Um, like no, we've got to have civil rights. We've got to we've got to do X, Y, and Z. But what ends up happening is in the second half of his presidency, he is plagued by scandals. Like I think like his whole his whole second term is just scandal after scandal after scandal being revealed. And part of it is that he's just like he's kind of. I get the impression he's kind of like one of those dudes where if you if you came up to him and were like smiling, he would just assume you're his friend no matter what. Because there's a lot of people that are like, no, Grant, I wouldn't do that to you, buddy, old pal. Meanwhile, I'm going to create the first economic depression. Like, oh, my gosh. Well, not the first. We have a bunch of economic. We, we have a bunch of uh, collapses and, and blah, blah. That means that at top, what people are seeing, if, you, if you're looking at the highest office, is you're seeing, oh, the guy who is 
I wouldn't call him pro-black, but the closest you can get to pro-black as an elected yeah. official in 1870-whatever is also full of scandals. And it kind of, like, it reminds me of in the 90s when, like, all of the Democrats' affairs were coming out. And so it's like, well, you guys aren't the moral party. You guys are fucking everybody. I mean, it's it's not that Republicans don't have mistresses. It's just that they hid them better. Yeah. But that attitude towards Grant also filters down into lower level Republicans, namely the Republicans that are living kind of next door to you if you're in the South. Ah, now we're kind of getting near the end. The the, the part I want to talk about, which is how, why, why do I say the South won? How do I say the South won? Especially if their army has been conquered, right? Like, like the, the, the fighting has stopped. The armies are over. That means that goal post-war, your idea of success has to change. And you create these little cells of white supremacists like like we talked about these fan clubs for white supremacy that become the Ku Klux Klan the Klegal Knights a bunch of other groups but there's there's just all these crazy groups that start up and and I say crazy in that they each have like they have these extreme unrealistic ideas of white supremacy and what they can do here's this weird thing to me is we never in school i never heard them called terrorist organizations but that's what all these white supremacist affiliation groups are ultimately and we'll get i'll get into more about what that is but it's important that post-war your your again your goals change right your your goal is the north you've succeeded in taking back what's yours so now you're just trying to get it to integrate into you you want build back better more than anything else that's really what their kind of goal is at that time meanwhile the south's goal is let's not lose our air quotes way of life their way of life of course being white supremacy but if you take out slavery their big dilemma then air quotes dilemma is what is white supremacy without slavery Mm-hmm. I am loath to call it the philosophical argument, but that is the philosophical argument that the Ku Klux Klan is kind of having. But you, if you, if we, if we in modern times don't call it terrorist actions, part of the reason is the word terrorism isn't really invented until the 1980s. That's part of it. The other reason is if you're in the North, you don't want to acknowledge that the South is still fighting. Because as far as you're concerned, Corona's over. I mean, the war is over. (laughs) (laughs) But that's very much how the Republicans, which are kind of analogous to today's Democrats in a very real way, are thinking. Look, we've had we had four to six years of war. We've had four to six more years of or or, or more than that, like 10 years because Grant gets two administrations. My bad. So you have like 10 years of settling the South. And so imagine if it's seven years from now and we're like, yeah, we still kind of haven't dealt with Corona because there's a thing. Eventually, the people in power are going to do their best to be like, yeah, we don't care about that anymore. We want to move on to our newest scam. Mm-hmm. Kind of like so talks about the war on terror. We enter this because it's over. It's done. Yeah, we don't. We've moved on to apparently Corona or, or our own internal fighting. A big part of the problem, too, is that because nothing gets better, the general public gets fatigue and can't even learn about it anymore because there's nothing you can do yeah yeah and that's what happens a lot for for a lot of people in the north because at that point you're back home and all you're hearing about is fighting in the south it's a lot like how it's a lot like how i imagine people felt about the george floyd protests that weren't that were in that middle class white thing of like well i don't get it like we solved police like we had a black president so like why are they why are they still complaining 
I don't see a problem. I'm not arrested. My kids aren't killed by the cops. I don't. How's there a problem? Some of yeah. the, some of the roots of that attitude that we have today start back in 1870, 1880, 1890, and the people in the north being like, "Well, the war's over. Why are we still fighting this?" There's this thing where we have a period called there's Reconstruction, which is the really popular era we cover in school. It sounds great. It sounds like we. It sounds like the war ended well because we have elected black officials. We have uh, enfranchisement. We do a bunch of other fucked up things underneath that, but the important part is we have that. Except when you get out of high school, there's a period following Reconstruction called, depending upon who you talk to, reclamation or redemption. Guess who's getting their reclamation and redemption in this era? People who look more like me than either of you. Wah, wah. And for the listeners who haven't pieced it together, I'm a white guy. <laughs> he is the man. He's been oppressing us this whole time. <laughs> There's got to be one listener who's like, wait, Pat's not a Chinese woman? <laughs> 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 oh, all right, so, so the issue, the, the era of reclamation and redemption is, is about... The, is when these terrorist actions start happening. So there's a famous example. The greatest incidence of political violence in American history happens in Louisiana. They elect their their um, elected officials, and it's it's not a majority black, but there are a lot of black people elected into office. One of these terrorist cells stages an action uh, that goes that escalates from like we're gonna protest it to we're gonna fucking kill people, and it leads to about a thousand people dying in one incident, in one massacre in Louisiana. And this this isn't the only one, and there are multiple incidences of instances of these kinds of incidents where black people are given power, and then th- these white terrorist organizations attack it and escalate the attack from okay, we're attacking elected officials to we're attacking people to support them to we're attacking even the Union Army, but it's guerrilla tactics, and you can blend in with the surroundings to a certain degree because it's your area. It's also important, I think, to kind of dispel another sort of misconception about these organizations. They are mostly middle class and upper class people in things like the Ku Klux Klan at this time. You are bringing in poorer whites for sure, but the people who are the most threatened by the the change in the system are the people who previously benefited from it. The people who are most whose lives are most improved by these systems are the poor whites. Because again, if you a rising tide raises all ships, so you start to see more solidarity between these poor whites and these newly freed black people. And this is really scary if you're middle I mean, whatever. I fucking hate saying it that way, but you know what I mean. It's 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 if you're one of those middle class whites, this looks scary. You're gonna I keep thinking of this manager I had uh, when I was at who was like, all right, but if you make poor people middle class, everybody's poor. And then where's the middle class? <laughs> and it's just that, but violently. But what if there aren't yeah, people for me to feel that, good about giving dollars to on the corners? How can I feel good about myself? It's that. And there's another thing, which is, so these, these terrorist organizations, I don't want to go into over detail, but they're attacking black families. They're massacring people. They are desecrating majority black bodies. But another tactic of terrorism, 
let's say it's the 18 whatever and i'm me and i'm still me and i still have my moral compass and i'm still like on things and i'm sympathetic and empathetic to to black people and really good at if you're one of those middle class whites (laughs) yes it turns out throughout the centuries there's always been a cunnilingus master and it is i anyway patrick's immortal if you were one of these terrorist organizations you want to kill me too because you don't want other whites following my way of thinking you you don't the moment they the moment you realize oh we all have more in common than i have in common with just you you lose even more power so a common tactic is we'll kill a majority of black people but we'll also kill like one white guy or whatever to send the message that you can't help them either just if you even try to speak up you'll be in just as much danger <clears throat> so it's it's one of these things we'll get into it more when i do like kind of the overall history of white supremacy episode if i do nothing if i'm silent that does nothing to help people who are in trouble or franchise and yeah it puts me in danger but it helps you far more than it puts me in danger if that makes sense but you don't see that or have any of that information really the same way in the 18 whatevers especially if you're super low to the ground like, like you have no money and you have no education you you don't see a bigger broader picture you just see what's directly in front of you and what you see as a poor white is well if i help them i get killed by the rest of the, the whites so you kind of slowly back out of that it's great another another issue is that both th- there's a misconception that before the war there's no capitalism in america there's or, or, or that the capitalism in America is only in the north because of the industrial revolution because that's where all the factories are because that's where unions start historically the north is viewed as capitalist whereas the south is viewed as agrarian but what is the most exploitative form of labor exploitation but slavery so these are both capitalist economies they're just doing capitalism in different ways so what ends up happening when you integrate these two is you realize, okay, what we need to do is have Southern capitalism using the, or, or Northern capitalism using the Southern system of white supremacy. And, and I think kind of, as we all would admit, capitalism is a form of slavery. Shrug emoji. Am I, am I speaking out of terms here? Uh, I would definitely say indentured servitude. I don't want to put them on par. I don't want to say they're equal, but I think I, 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 it's like liberal slavery. Well, no, you want to recreate the economy you had with the fewest number of steps. And one of the things that also happens is the, like I said, they give property back. It's because one of the, one of the issues post-Civil War is, uh, have you guys heard of the Bill of Rights? <laughs> There's a Fifth Amendment in there, which says the government can't illegally take your property. Part of the argument that the South makes is you took our property when you did emancipation. Part of the way they kind of the North eases, air quotes, that tension is we give you back the land and we give you back the the houses. We give you back the non-people property. But you you want to maintain your position. So you try to create slavery just with more steps. First through the the planter system, the, the, the sharecropping. That's what I meant. Sorry. The sharecropping system and then through the prison complex. Correct. Kind of the last thing that that helps you, if you're the South, win this fight. Because you recreated slavery, yes, with more steps, but it's based on white supremacy. You might not have the same generals and whatnot, but that's because you've stopped being an army and you've started being these guerrilla cells. So your leadership has changed, but you're still fighting for this notion of white supremacy. And then 
after Grant and all that, like, scandal and stuff, there's a big election. And basically it comes down to one president who is like, no, we need to follow the course and we need to actually integrate the South into America. And there's this other president who's like, nah, things are good. The South, they've got it figured out. They, we, we just need to continue being America. We'll let the South sort it out. As long as there's no slavery, it's fine. Guess who ends up winning this <laughs> presidential contest? I'm bummed out already. That's It's the Hayes. Oh, shit. I meant to write this one down. It's Rutherford B. Hayes and some other asshole. Da, 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 da. You're doing oh, great. You're killing it. Oh, thanks, dear. Yeah, he has a contested election against this guy named Samuel Tilden, the Tilden-Hayes election. And Hayes is the one who's like, look, uh, we won the war. We're all good. We don't need to do any more. The South will figure it out. As long as there's no slavery, we're fine. The other guy is the one that's like, hey, or Tilton is the one who's like, eh, we could probably continue to push the course and actually win the war. Uh, Hayes is the guy who ends up winning. So we just kind of slowly pull armed forces out of the South and say, hey, terrorist groups, now that you've killed all the elected officials, why don't you elect new people? <laughs> At the same time, two other things happen. Y- y'all heard of a place called Oregon? Oh, hate it. Yeah. So, you're you're these displaced, conquered... I mean, conquered is the wrong word. You're these terrorist organizations. You want to find a new home. You, you don't feel like you can live the same way in the South. What do you do? Go to the new territories. Immigrate to new places. Take your system of white supremacy without slavery with you. Granted, Oregon has slaves as late as the 1870s and 80s, but that's beside the point. <laughs> The point is, you immigrate these ideas outward, and you spread them, and you infiltrate the system that already exists as well. So these racist, like like these guys that are a part of these terrorist cells that we call the Ku Klux Klan, get elected. You put these ideas into office. That's how you create the industrial prison complex. And this is, this is where you get the things like, uh, we'll talk about it. Actually, Rochelle and I already recorded an episode about it uh, with Kyle uh, Adams. I yes. totally forgot Kyle's name for a minute. There. Kyle Adams. <laughs> wow. Well, we talked about how policing in the South, it starts off as this thing where you're just like the dude in town who watches the jail. But then because you don't want your friends put in jail, you put one of your white supremacist terrorist cell friends in place as the police. And suddenly it's the terrorist organization running things. It's a lot like how uh, uh, I think it's Al Qaeda takes over, took over in some places where they're like, hey, we're just going to enforce the law. We're not the law, but we'll enforce it. By the way, we're going to enforce our definition and interpretation of the law. It's the same thing with these uh, these white supremacist terrorists, and then that's also where you get things like redlining. That's kind of that's kind of where I close it, I guess. Is that like all of that stuff post the Tilden B Hayes election, as we pull out the army, allows these southern terrorists to immigrate further, infiltrate into our our greater political system, and then expand upon their ideas. It kind of sounds like with these uh, folks from these terrorist organizations becoming a part of the government it it did a lot to shift the overton window back to being 
no yes. questions about white supremacy. And I was also thinking in my head that white supremacy kind of reminds me of the one episode of The Simpsons where they find out Mr. Burns has all those diseases that keep him running. Like, if he was cured of one of them, he would die. I feel like white supremacy, all the different things, like redlining and all the different things we're talking about, are all the different diseases that need to be in place to keep it moving forward. Yeah, and that's the other thing is is you also you change the educational conversation about it. This is when you get the daughters of the Confederacy popping up and saying, "Oh, this is what we have to put in textbooks." They were happy and had watermelon. Weren't things great? The the um, theory that there's such a thing as critical race theory being taught in elementary schools, and they're they're scared of that. I think specifically the importance of suppressing. It, education on the topic too is if you don't have a way to discuss the things that are wrong you can never discuss the things that are wrong so if you're not if if like you're saying if you ban critical race theory if you ban the idea that at, at an elementary school level hey a civil war happened it was fought over the right to own people if we don't talk about that then you don't have a language to talk about that yeah i was thinking we only have to have critical race theory because the history of racism, slavery, and white supremacy is not taught. Yeah. The reason I argue that I think the South won is because I think if you step away from the history of where it taught and you look only at the information, that's what you would do. That's what you would see. Like, it reminds me of how, like, Rome had these battles between themselves that they would describe a certain way. But, you know, here we are a few thousand years later and we're like, that's not what happened. That's just what the propaganda said happened. Right. Like how uh, uh, what's his name? Augustus is like, I'm the first citizen. I'm not the emperor. Meanwhile, he's the emperor of Rome. Like he's <laughs> I feel like what happened in the Civil War, rather than being like a decisive win, it was more of just a treaty or an agreement. You know, it's just a compromise of you still do whatever you want and just don't say the country broke apart. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like divorced parents, except dad comes back and it's like, no, nah, we're doing things, and mom's like, cool. <laughs> it's but but not as not as that. It's it's yeah, problematic partners maybe maybe not mom and dad, and and so that kind of comes to our conclusion of why why does this matter? Most importantly, because ignoring all of these things only perpetuates these things. So if we act like none of this happened we can't solve any of this. It goes back to that thing I was saying earlier about my back, where it's like, if we don't know there's a hole in my back, I don't know the steps to take to mitigate my pain, to deal with the damage, and to improve my future. All I know is my back hurts. Fuck it. I'm going to take more drugs. Yeah, and unless we know about my neck, my back, my pussy, and my crack, how are we going to know where to lick it? Lick it good. Lick that pussy like you should. Dahlia's making some very salient points right now. Yeah, no, this is that that does lead into my my kind of my, my final final thing, which is what can we do? What you're you're sitting at home, you're listening to this, you're like, oh shit, I think I think I think I'm in a Confederate States of America. What the fuck do I do? Like, like, if I'm a conquered person, what am, what am I supposed to do? Well, one thing you can do, spread this information. Tell people about how history actually fucking went. Yeah. That's a good I highly step. recommend doing it in the midst of, like, casual conversations. 
about like sports. <laughs> no, it's I, I honestly I honestly think that's the best way to go to a certain degree too, because if you if I come at you and say, Oh, everything you do is wrong and you're fucked up, you're not gonna listen. But if we're just talking about dinner and I'm like, Man, doesn't it suck that like somebody had to make our dinner? <laughs> like uh, maybe that's not a solid example but you know what? like if you can bring it about casually people's shields aren't going to be up and you can get way more across to them yeah i also think it's important for for uh for white people to be actively pro-black because Word. part of the problem with white supremacy is is that you're gonna continue a one of the problems i find with white supremacy over and over again as a white person is it ruins my life just as much not as much but it ruins my life as well when i explained that hierarchy earlier that existed in the south do you mean to tell me there's not a distinction between billionaires millionaires thousandaires hundredaires and no bucks yeah one thing is white people be pro-black, support your black friends, amplify their voices, shut up once in a while. Uh, second thing, send me money. Send fucking Dahlia money. All the money. Not, I mean, I just money assume she's dick fucking, dick, but, but only like, if you have a pretty dick and good light. Oh, that's gonna literally uh, eliminate most of the dicks. <laughs> like that's most of the Sorry, dicks right Patrick. there. Continue. No, you're fine, because that brings us... No, that brings me to the, the, the kind of second thing I think we can do with white people, which is just sit with the fucking discomfort of it. I <laughs> I know I can't fucking fix white supremacy. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and be or able to punch fucking there. David Duke. <laughs> oh my god, Dolly, I have an OnlyFans. Just subscribe. It's free. <laughs> oh, Pat. No, it's porn Sorry, Patrick. But... You're, you're fine. I'm. I'm. I'm serious. It's. It's this thing. White people. We think. Oh shit. We gotta fix the problem. No. Just sit with the fact that that you didn't even fucked up. That shit is fucked up. And don't try to, like, control a situation. Don't try to tell black people what they're feeling. Don't try to ease your discomfort. It's a fucked up thing. Black people have had to sit with the discomfort of white supremacy for a really fucking long time. No reason we can't. One thing I wanted to add on top of that is that before calling out racism and other people, really make sure to look inside yourself and see how you yeah, don't are be perpetuating Portland about it. Yeah. I always think of yeah. it in terms of white people with dreads. Like, I don't think I'm doing most of the black community a favor by making fun of white people with dreads or attacking them, but I'm definitely never going to defend them either. <laughs> yeah. And that's really all. all well, I'm not going to say we as I'm not the voice of all black people, but I will say what this black what? person would really like it <laughs> is, you know, on occasion when I say, oh, I can't believe they would say that shit. Don't be like, are you sure it was because you're black? So just let it just just let that person have their impression of the experience. Yeah. Because because part of the and part of what I mean with sitting with the discomfort of that is it's to use an issue parallel to to, to uh, white supremacy but not the same sexism. There there's this thing where guys will hear oh a dude all men are rapists or, or men are rapists and then the immediate guy response is not all men but it's like nobody called you a rapist and the fact that you're terrified of the fact that you're being called a racist or a rape whatever <laughs> pick a word but the fact that you're scared of being that puts you closer to being that because you're gonna want to be defensive and fight again like it's 
uh, I'm muddling my words here. Yeah, but you're, you're more <laughs> it's, likely it's, to create a justification for why the rape you committed wasn't actually a rape. Yep. Parallel to sitting with your discomfort, uh, the last two points, parallel to sitting with your discomfort is don't be quiet. Like, like, like don't be silent. Mm-hmm. Don't talk over black people, but, like, if you, if you see people saying shit, say something. Like, be like, nah, bro, that's not cool. Like, I have, I have lost friends over people saying racist shit or sexist shit or transphobic shit or homophobic shit because I don't need that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you can't be friends and, with that and person. staying that si- an asshole. And staying silent about that only perpetuates that. And again, it's that thing of like, eventually you push yourself closer into what I consider the bad guy camp when you are silent about that shit because you're letting it happen. You're taking an active, non-active stance. If you stand by and let something happen, I'm not saying that's the same as doing the thing, but it's the same as letting the thing fucking happen. So, so as the resident black and kinda, trans woman, I'm also going to go ahead and say that, you know, I've heard a lot of people who will say, you know, this friend of mine or this relative of mine, they're racist, but I'm not racist because I hang out with black trans people and women and blah, blah, blah. Put in whatever you want. But the thing is, mm-hmm. if you're comfortable with your friends and relatives being racist, then you're putting your minority friends at risk of harm because you're still giving exactly. launch to the perpetrators. And it hurts my feelings. No, and it's... I don't know. It sucks because it's like... I, 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 like I said, I've lost friends and even family. Like, I have not... Even before he died... I was going to say, I haven't talked to my dad in 20 years, but that's because, like, for the last three, he's been dead. So that was kind of technically impossible. But but there was a point about 15 to 17 years ago, like 13, where I was like, not only is this man not going to change, but he's going to try to influence me in this at some point to justify his shit. And again, it's going to have to push me... Oh, Dave, I'm sorry, I'm talking over, over what you just said. <laughs> I'm doing the one thing I said not to do, but but I. I... And that's a teachable moment, folks. <laughs> and see, see the discomfort that Patrick accepts. Patrick dwells. In I I do I. And I respect that. I was gonna say I. I do have the advantage that I am basically an avatar of discomfort. Like something I was thinking about though is that like. In my personal experience, I've had someone who assaulted me, and there's a lot of, like, situations with whether or not he's in the community. And one of the things I really appreciate is when other people talk about it instead of me so that I don't have to keep talking about it. And so that my community can be there and stand for me so I don't have to be like, hey, that guy raped me. Can he just not be here? Someone else did it for me, and that's always nice. (laughs) Basically, if I'm gathering correctly, the moral here is that Abraham Lincoln fixed racism. Yeah. Absolutely. And then and then Barack Obama fixed it even more. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> He proved he proved a black man can be just as evil as any white man given the opportunity. Yeah. I just assume when you're elected emperor of America you have to be a little evil. That's just Well yeah. Well okay, okay, let me try again. The My... moral of this episode is <laughs> Patrick is racist. Rochelle likes <laughs> white people dreadlocks, and Dahlia has a cute butt. Yes, that's the moral of every episode. 
like we don't even need to do any more episodes. We're just gonna we're just gonna <laughs> an audio clip every week that goes Patrick's racist. Rochelle had dreads Rochelle and will never dreads. live it down. Had 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 had. I'm gonna say that again. Had. <laughs> I love that I, I just do, started this I rumor that you have dreadlocks, even though people could just look at you and right. they don't. But they'll be like, I can't believe you still have those dreadlocks. <laughs> Dahlia said it's dreadlocks. I guess it is. I guess what I would say is that I am also racist and I can look back to all of the microaggressions that I have committed and continue to commit. And it, I hope it gives me the perspective to point out when other people are doing that shit so that like I'm not wasting my time just feeling shitty that I do fucked up things like I hope I can channel that into instead of just feeling guilty trying to be a better like example and yeah be less shitty over devulsion I had an abusive <laughs> childhood it made me inflict trauma on other people as well because of the reaction to that and it's hard for people to understand you can both be the victim and victimize people like you can inflict trauma as a result of your own trauma and and inflicting trauma inflicts trauma on you i believe because i think the the basic human nature like the thing that helped us evolve more than anything else was community unity solidarity that's why i believe in these things and the whole point of all of this is that like the listeners can take this and when they look at current affairs when they think about things like defund the police about why we don't have a third party about all kinds of other shit you take this historical information and you apply it to current events and look at it through a broader I guess, more informed lens. And also, Dahlia has a great ass. Dahlia does have a... Most importantly. Delectical boot... Delectical... Delectable <laughs> booty. Oh my god. Go. Good job. <laughs> it's just... I, I know I, I come across as the perfect angel in all of these conversations because I am. But, um... I sucked in my 20s. I was horrible like <laughs> i would say like 16 to 32 i was not adorable or whimsical at all i was just mad and shitty and i i'm in therapy did now i know you for that i remember being an asshole yeah did i get to meet you when you were an and asshole oh uh, no no oh that's okay and I, I, i'm not gonna out your age but then i remembered your age and i was like oh yeah i did totally know you fuck you <laughs> For a minute, for, I, I knew I knew at the I knew you at what is apparently chronologically the end of your assholery. So I have seen you take. Yes, we, exactly. We've watched each other take similar journeys. Stall. That's that's kind of yeah. sweet. I didn't realize. I didn't realize we'd been kind of on the same. So yeah, that's my presentation. I think the South won. We're all doomed. Uh, does anyone have uh, promotions? <laughs> no, Rochelle. Maybe you have things coming up. So you go. First. I don't think I really have anything. I'm trying to get some episodes of Talking Shit Spilling Pee edited, especially the episode that Dahlia and I did uh, in, what was that, August? <sighs> yeah, that was a hoot. I'm such a fucking mess. Um, but hopefully those will be up soon, and they should be up with uh, Patrick's stuff. I ha I think Patrick and I are going to re-record, because we were too ADD on our episode, but I'll have Dahlia, and I'll also have Kyle Adams coming out soon. Aww. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know, you know what I totally forgot to mention? The, the whole reason I wanted to do this was because of 
the similarities between all of those terrorist assaults and January 6th. We don't need to talk about it. I just want to put it in the listeners' brains to think about, wow, I wonder why those people would take those kind of actions. Pat, and what not doing anything about that would do. Harriet just so that's, tapped that's me on my the future, shoulder. That's my future offense. Harriet just tapped me on the shoulder, <laughs> so I think she really wants to weigh in on the insurrection. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess she has nothing to say at this point, but she seemed like she did. That was gross, Harriet. Yeah, no, right. I'm editing, I'm editing what Harriet said. Editing out. out. All right, Doll, Doll, now that I've talked too much, do you have any upcoming shows? This will probably come out after the 6th, if I do my job right. Um, I'm pretty sure the state of Oregon is shutting down again. So right now I theoretically have a bunch of shows <coughs> in January and February, but I'm pretty sure I don't have Shrug emoji. more shows um, forever and ever. Amen. We're all going to die. No, that's fair. I'm not even going to promote mine. We're all going to, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, we're all going to die. Yeah, so thank you, friends, for coming to Pat's Happy Fun Time. Yeah, it was, it was, it was catch delightful. Us ne- catch us next week when we talk about how having babies is bad for the environment. I don't know. I don't... <laughs> yeah. And then that's the end. And oh, thank you t- all. I appreciate it. And scene. Yeah, yeah, I love no, you. I'm... We love you, too. We love you, too. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye, okay, everyone. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> You gotta close out of it or else I keep hearing you, folks. <laughs> Thank you for picking up recyclables today. Donations to the ACAST streaming service are, of course, always welcomed, but the best way to support the show is by going to patreon.com forward slash recyclables and becoming a patron today. If you can't do that, another great way is by liking, subscribing, sharing, rating, and reviewing the podcast on whatever podcast listening service you use. All right, thanks.